Good morning. Well, you guys are all family here, so you know I'm Wade Wilson, uh, and uh, I'm glad you guys are here this morning, getting through the rain and the COVID scare and uh, just uh, the realities of trying to make it on a a regular Sunday morning are difficult sometimes, but uh, I'm glad you guys are here, and uh, I pray that my message uh, speaks to you guys this morning. Um, I want to first say thank you to my wife, Stacy, uh, who has uh, been very diligent in taking care of our children this weekend and uh, these last few days to help me uh, prepare this message. And um, honestly, uh, I think all of, all of most of us men could say that if it wasn't for our wives, we'd have a hard time serving the church as we do. Um, and uh, thank you to, to my wife for always being there to support me uh, so that I can help lead God's people. Um, In this message, I pray that you see the greatness of God, uh, the poverty of man, and the glorious relevance of the authority of Scripture. Uh, Today's message is going to be about courage. You will never find scholars or authors producing books on how to fail. Everyone knows how to fail in the same way People don't write books on how to be a coward or a wimp. That is why so many books are written on how to be successful or how to find courage in tough times. As you might have guessed, uh, I'm going to use the Bible as the book to better understand courage. Uh, One of the most often uh, reminders that Scripture gives us is do not fear. It's mentioned over 365 times, uh, either, either the phrase do not fear or do not be afraid is mentioned 365 times throughout Scripture. Um, and so let's take, let's take the lessons that the Bible gives us and learn how to be successful, bold, and courageous in all areas of our life. Uh, I'd like to turn to Joshua chapter 1. Uh, if you have a pew Bible this morning, it's on page 178, uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Um, for context, uh, Moses has just died. And now the Lord is telling Joshua to lead God's people into the promised land. It should be noted that at this point, Joshua wasn't some great general with many victories to his name. He had basically been involved in one battle and had been a spy. Many times, though, throughout Scripture, God uses unlikely people to do his work. For example, Gideon was the, uh, the youngest of his household, and David was basically the run of the litter but uh, God still used them to do mighty things in his name. So God uses people that you wouldn't necessarily think are the most brave, strong, and courageous people, but uh, through, through God and his faithfulness, they are able to, to be courageous. So Joshua 1, verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to you, the Israelites. I will give you every place where your foot is set, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all of the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. 
because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not go, or excuse me, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God makes it very clear to, to Joshua, doesn't he, that he should be strong and courageous. In fact, three times in almost the same breath, he says, be strong and courageous. Um, and when we read the story of Joshua like this, it can be easy to say, you know, if I heard the actual audible voice of God, um, then I would never have any doubts or fears ever again. Uh, spoiler alert, Joshua eventually had doubts and fears. Uh, and like the good armchair quarterbacks we are, um, we, we're like, Joshua, you idiot. You heard the voice of God. Uh, how, can you, how can you still have fear and doubt? Um, you see, it's easy for, people, for, for us to have faith for other people, but when it comes to our faith, it can be difficult. Um, one of the points I want to make this morning is that despite your fear, have courage because God is always with you in what he has called you to do for him. God is always with you in what he has called you to do for him. Looking back at the text, I want to point out something that I think is very important. God declares the importance of his word. In verse 7, Joshua 1, 7, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you, and also to keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditating on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. So we are to... Uh, we are courage and success is rooted in following God's word. Now, at this point, I've got a question for you. How much of God's word was written at this point? About this much. Not a whole lot. Uh, Moses had written five books. uh, And if you can see, we have a whole lot of scripture left to go throughout the the history of the Bible. And so in some ways, I think, uh, I think that we have a big advantage over Joshua because we have so much more of God's word to read that he gave us. So uh, actually, I think we're, we're without as many excuses. I mean, Joshua, um, uh, you know, did not have a lot of things to look at that we get to, to see today. Um, <clears throat> Specifically, we have the cross of Christ to look to where God displayed his love for us and his faithfulness to us by dying for us while we were yet sinners. Uh, why, did God, why do you think it is that God told Joshua to be strong and courageous three times in three verses? Well, I think it's because we need to be reminded frequently. We tend to have short memories, and we need to be reminded again and again and again that God is with us and that we need to be strong and courageous and to follow him. Not long after these passages, Joshua 
was going to face many challenges. Uh, he had to cross the Jordan River, uh, the story of Jericho. There were lots of things that he had to, to face. And uh, we face tough challenges, too, in this day and age. Anybody remember 2020? Uh, for most people, that wasn't a good year. There are a lot of people worried about what's going to happen in 2021, and a lot of people worried about even just the next four years. But the world seems to have changed a lot over the last few years. It feels like we're living in times similar to what Paul described in Romans 1. Uh, Romans 1, 28 through 32 pretty much sums up how I feel about the world around us right now. Romans 1, 28-32. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossipers, slanderers, haters of God. They are insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. They are disobedient to their parents without understanding They're untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know God's word, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. You guys, God didn't say, go make disciples unless it's hard out there. You know, uh, it's been hard for a long time. If you look at the the church of Corinth and uh, all of these letters, Paul has to write these letters because they're messing up most of the time and they're not sure what to do. It's been hard for a long time. Uh, And God says, God doesn't say, go make disciples unless your guy's in the White House. Uh, God says, go make disciples no matter what the time period is. The gospel is unchanging and is the only answer to the world's problems. Romans 4.4 says... Let God be true, though all men are found liars. So if everybody in this world was lying, let God be true, and let that be what we always declare. The darker this world gets in this crooked and perverse generation, the brighter our light should shine. The missionary Charles Thomas Studd was a man who knew how to be courageous. He once said, some want to live within the sound of the church bells. But I want to run a rescue shop within a few feet of hell. That would be a target-rich environment for sure, wouldn't it? It reminds me of the story of Chesty Puller. Chesty Puller is the most decorated man in Marine U.S. history. In December of 1950, in the Chosen Reservoir, they had been looking for the enemy, and they finally found them. In fact, when they discovered they had found them, they were surrounded by 10 regiments of the Chinese army, which was about 80,000 people, and they uh, were severely outnumbered. Chesty said, well, that makes it easy then. Uh, and he said, uh, he said to his men, all right, well, they're to the left of us, they're to the right of us, they're in front of us, and they're behind us. They can't escape now. <laughs> That is really similar to how it is with us in the world today. The the enemy is everywhere, everywhere you look. But you know what? Everywhere we look, there's an opportunity to share the gospel as well. Now isn't the time to be shy or timid. The need is great and the mission is clear. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Another of my favorite Charles Thomas Dead quotes 
says this, let us not glide into let, let us not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our redeemer Jesus Christ. Let us see to it that the devil will hold a party in hell when he gets the news of our departure from this field of battle. Let me read that last line again. Let us see to it that the devil will hold a party in hell when he hears of our departure from the field of battle. Amen to that, right? Uh May we make such an impact that uh, that that the devil holds a party because we're no longer on this earth. <clears throat> I, pr- I pray that that is the way I'm able to live out my life, <clears throat> blowing the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer. Satan in the world doesn't like it when Christians go around boldly proclaiming the gospel. The world normally puts up with Christians because a lot of Christian ministries are somewhat benign or docile or a pushover. Now, we need a lot of Christian ministries. I'm not trying to knock them. But for the most part, Christians lack boldness and courage when they are under attack. Um, You know, it's actually true that many unbelievers love Christian ministries because we do a lot of good things, and they like those good things. We start hospitals. And eventually they get taken over uh, and turned into something that's not Christian. Uh, We start colleges, and eventually they get taken over. Did you know that out of the first 240 colleges or universities that were started in the United States, um, 220 of them were founded by Christians? And you probably know a lot of the names if I would say them. Uh, For instance, Harvard, Princeton, Yale. Uh, they're, they're haters of God now, most of those places. The world generally applauds us for, for creating those things and serving the community, but don't uh, they like it when we when we make soup kitchens and when we have homeless shelters uh, and when we start addiction centers? The world generally applauds us for those things, but don't you dare start boldly proclaiming the gospel and speaking in the name of Jesus. Paul warns Timothy about this very thing. And in your pew Bible, uh, Timothy 2.4 is on page uh, 996. And uh, if you would follow with me, um, Paul is, is charging Timothy uh, with, with in, this, in this part of Scripture. He says, uh, Paul says to Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by appearing... And his, in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready to repute, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears, ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and they will turn towards myths. But you, Timothy, being sober in all things, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul is telling him this not only from his experience, but uh, I'm sure Paul was told by Dr. Luke and Peter and John about uh, their encounter with the authorities in Acts chapter 3 and 4. And in your pew Bibles, you can find that on page 911. Uh, Acts chapter 3 and 4. It all started when... um, when Peter healed the lame beggar in chapter 3. The beggar appears to be a guy that pretty much everybody knew. 
uh, and, and he was at the, the temple because after Peter healed him, a lot of people were amazed. I must say this beggar sounds like he caused quite the scene too. Uh, it says he, he was leaping and jumping and praising God. In, in verse 11 of chapter 3, it says the beggar was clinging to Peter and John, and all the people ran together to see them at the portico of Solomon, and they were full of amazement. Peter didn't let the situ- situation go to waste either. He, he preached the gospel to everybody that could hear the sound of his voice in that portico. Well, it seems the news of, of the healing and Peter's gospel message traveled pretty fast because the authorities, arrested them, er, the authorities arrested them that afternoon and threw them in jail to stand trial in the morning. So they spent the night in jail. And uh, the, uh, chapter 4, verse 4 says, But many of those who had heard the message believed, and there were about 5,000 of them. So this little scene they had caused, 5,000 people had had heard and believed. They had seen what Peter had done. So the next day, the authorities began to question Peter and John about their situation. All of the important people uh, were brought out to face them. Uh, They brought up the big guns to question these two guys. Verse 7 says, And when they had placed them in the center... Kind of a nice little intimidation tactic, right? You get all the important people, all of the authorities, put them in this, put these two guys in the center of the room, and then you start your questioning. <clears throat> and they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Do you find it interesting that they didn't even seem to care that they had healed the beggar? By what name have you done this? Uh, Let's pause for a minute and come back to this because I absolutely love Peter's answer. The name of Jesus is important. There is great power in the name of Jesus. But it seems that these days the name of Jesus has been marginalized. Some of it is due to how easily people take his name in vain. Maybe it's because in movies he's shown to be quiet and weak. Uh, Maybe it's because many people just list his name up there with Buddha and Gandhi and Muhammad and other philosophers. Um, it's been at least 10 years ago, but I remember watching uh, Bill O'Reilly talking to another commentator on the news and very adamant that Jesus was a great teacher and a great philosopher, but he wouldn't go an inch further to give Jesus the credit for who he really was. It was like Jesus was nothing more than some generic brand. So back to Peter's response. Peter, in whose name have you done this? Verse 8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but but which became the chief cornerstone, and there is no salvation for anyone under no other name in heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter didn't just give them a name, did he? Peter gave a detailed description of exactly which Jesus he was talking about so there would be no mistake. And then I like the way he slipped in a quick gospel sermon at the same time too, right? I think Peter's bold answer bewildered the council of authorities. The text says that the council began to talk amongst each other. 
and that they couldn't deny a miracle had taken place. And it was apparent to all who lived in Jerusalem. The text says, we cannot deny it. Verse 17 of Acts chapter 4 says, but, but so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man about the name of Jesus. So the council called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you, the authorities, or to listen to God? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So they didn't really like that, so they continued to threaten them, Peter and John. Uh, And then they couldn't decide how to punish them because all of the people were praising God for what had happened. They didn't want them to speak about the name of Jesus. Notice they didn't say, guys, just quit healing people and making a scene. No, it was specifically they wanted them to stop preaching and teaching and talking about the name of Jesus. Don't you talk about Jesus. This is one of my favorite examples of confidence and courage to boldly proclaim the gospel in, in the Scriptures. I pray that we learn from them so that we may always speak the truth with all confidence and speak the word of God with boldness. Let me remind you of Paul's charge to Timothy. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn their ears away from the truth and towards myths. Even in this so-called Christian nation, uh, you be sober in all things and endure hardship and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. We are all evangelists, aren't we? Or we're supposed to be. Uh, doesn't God tell us to make disciples of all nations? That's the, that's the Great Commission. We need to apply this charge to Timothy to our own lives. The way we use courage and boldness probably won't look the same as uh, soldiers storming the beaches of Normandy. What might some examples of courage look like today, Uh, just to name a few? Are you going to stand up for truth when somebody says there are 54 different genders? If you told me that when I was in high school, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but uh, I'm 36, it was was about 18 years ago now, I never would have thought that that would have ever been an issue. Uh, You know, male and female, it's science. Let's believe science, right? Oh, wait. Uh, Only when it suits us will believe science. Uh, Because, like Timothy says, uh, they'll find their own teachers to tickle their ears, and they'll start believing myths instead of the truth. When my dad was in high school, abstinence wasn't something that people made fun of, and it was normal not to live with your girlfriend before marriage. Today, the ridicule is endless for taking that stance. A friend of mine took a class at TCC, and uh, did you know people who keep their virginity and don't live with their girlfriend before marriage uh, is considered deviant behavior today? It's against the societal norm, so now it's considered deviant. Are you guys going to stand up for the truth? and stand up for what's right when you're confronted with this, when you're ridiculed, when you're you're embarrassed uh, by your friends. I've been there. 
Want to know the fastest way to lose respect in the world of academia? Tell them that you believe in the creation account in Genesis. One time, I was having a great discussion with a retired professor that happened to live right down the street here in Golden Eagle. And uh, uh, just having a a great uh, discussion, talking about a lot of things. And then somehow the, the topic came up about creation. And he looked at me bewildered and says, don't tell me you're one of those people that believes God had created the earth in a week, are you? And I said, I, I kind of doubled down. I said, no, actually, I'm, I'm not one of those people. I believe he did it in six days. It didn't take him a whole week. He respected me before that discussion, but his opinion of me did a 180 when he found out that I believed God created the earth as he said he did in his word. <clears throat> Those are just a few examples. There, there's many more. And uh, I want to I read a story to you that Ronald Reagan told um, at a commencement address to the Citadel uh, about a graduate named Arlen Williams. And I would like to share that with you because I think, I think it's a great example of uh, courage. So Arlen Williams, uh, his moment of truth didn't come in combat, although he served for quite a while. It came on a snow-driven day in peacetime in the nation's capital in 1982. That is the day that a civilian airliner on which he was a passenger crashed into the Washington Bridge, then plunged into the rough waters of the icy Potomac. He survived the impact of the crash and found himself with a small group of other survivors struggling to stay afloat in the nearly frozen river. And then suddenly there was hope. A park police helicopter flew overhead Uh, with a lifeline to the outstretched hands below, a lifeline that could carry but a few of the victims to safety of shore. News and cameraman watched helplessly, recording the scene as the man in the water repeatedly handed the rope to others, refusing to save himself until first one, then two, then three, then four and finally five people had been rescued. When the helicopter came back on one final trip that would rescue the man who had been passing the rope, it was too late. He had slipped at least at last beneath the waves of the sinking wreckage. The only one of the 79 fatalities in that disaster who lost his life after the accident himself. Sometimes, you see, life gives us what we think are fair warnings of choices that will shape our future. On such occasions, we are able to look far along the path ahead, at a distant point in the woods where the poet's two roads diverge, right? And then if we are wise, we will take time to think and reflect, choosing which road to take before the junction is reached. But such occasions are rather rare. Far more often than we care to admit, most of life's critical decisions come like a thief in the night. Suddenly and without notice, the crisis is upon us. And the moment of choice is at hand, a moment of full importance for ourselves and for all who are depending on the choice that we make. We find ourselves, if you will, plunged into the icy waters where the currents of moral consequence run swift and deep and where our fellow man, and yes, I believe our maker, are waiting to see whether we will pass the rope. These moments when when instinct and character take command as they took command for Arlen Williams on that day Our Lord called him home. For there is no time at such moments for anything but fortitude and integrity. Debate and reflection and leisurely weighing of the alternatives are luxuries we do not have. 
The only question is, how will you respond on that day? And now we come to the heart of the matter, the core lesson taught by the heroism of Arlen Williams on January 13th of 1982. For you see, the character that it takes to command in such moments of crucial choices has already been determined. It has been determined by a thousand other choices made earlier in seemingly unimportant moments. It has been determined by all of the little choices in years past, by all of those times when you heard your conscience at war with the voice of temptation, whispering the lie that it really doesn't matter. It has been determined by all of those day-to-day decisions that piece by piece, bit by bit, developed habits of either discipline or of laziness, habits of either self-sacrifice or self-indulgence, habits of duty and honor and integrity or dishonor and shame. Because when life does get tough and the crisis is undeniably at hand, when we must in an instant look inward for strength of character to see us through, we will find nothing inside ourselves that we have not already put there. Let me say that one more time. We will find nothing inside ourselves that we have not already put there. This is why we need to know God's Word inside and out. We need to dwell in it and live in it daily. Remember back in Joshua, courage comes from the Word of God. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all of the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. You will be successful wherever you go. Keep this book on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that everything you do, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Uh, So you have to, we will find nothing inside ourselves that we have not already put there. That is why we absolutely have to live out our lives as Christians, um, reading the scriptures and and acting like Christians, uh, walking the walk, not just talking the talk. In closing, I'd like to uh, read an excerpt from Charles Spurgeon's uh, 1888 message titled, Standing Firm in the Faith. We admire a man who was firm in the faith, say, 400 years ago, but such a man today is a nuisance, and he must be put down. Call him narrow-minded, a bigot, or give him a worse name if you can think of one. Yet imagine that in those ages past when Luther or Zwingli or Calvin or any of their peers had said, the world is out of order, but if we try to set it right, we shall fight each other and get ourselves into disgrace. Let us go to our chambers, put on our nightcaps, and sleep off the bad times. And perhaps when we wake up, uh, times will have grown better. Such conduct on their part would uh, have entailed upon us a heritage of error. Age after age would have gone into the infernal deeps, and evil would have swallowed all. These men loved the faith and the name of Jesus too. Uh, excuse me, these men loved the faith in the name of Jesus too well to see them trampled on. Spurgeon continues, It is today, as it was in the Reformers' days, decision is needed. This is important, guys. Here is the day for the man. Where is the man for the day? We who have not had the gospel passed to us, we, have, we who have not, excuse me, We who have had the gospel passed to us by martyrs' hands dare not trifle with it, nor sit by to hear it denied by traitors who pretend to love it, 
but inwardly abhor every line of it. And he continues, Listen, gentlemen, there are ages yet to come. If the Lord does not speedily appear, there will come another generation and another and another. And all of these generations will be tainted and injured if we are not faithful to God and to His truth today. We have come to a turning point in the road. If we, if we turn to the right, maybe our children and our children's children will go that way. But if we turn to the left, generations yet unborn will curse our names for having been unfaithful to the Word of God. Let's close in prayer. Father God, help us to have courage and strength to face the challenges as we live out what You have called us to do. My prayer is that our children see us leading by example, keeping Your Word in our hearts and on our lips. Help us to stand firm in defending your, tr- your word and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.